We are carrying on in our study of Timothy. We've come as far as chapter 4, so turn in your Bibles or flip on your apps, on your phones, whatever you do, to chapter 4 of First Timothy. And let's just bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet, to study your word. Just, Lord, open our understanding, we pray. Uh, Lord, as we look at these things, may it more, be more than just information. May it more, be more than just history. Uh, Lord, may these words really impact us this morning, challenge us. Um, Father, stir our hearts, we pray, that we will be effective for you, Lord, in these days. Lord, that we would redeem the time. Um, Lord, that you would make us witnesses, ambassadors for you in this world. And Lord, that we will also individually grow in knowledge and grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've already gone through the first chapter of Timothy, looking at faith and doctrine within the church. Uh, chapter 2 really starts to lay out the order of the church. Uh, we talk about roles and responsibilities. And then chapter 3, the officers of the church. We look particularly at the role of the pastor. And then started to look at the role of uh, deacons, or typically those that serve and have a ministry within the church. Whatever that be, whether it be something that's spiritual or something that's practical. Um, because even if it's a practical ministry, as we remember, as we saw um, Paul urges Timothy to, for those that uh, are deacons, to use the office of a deacon. You know, the idea is it's a means to an end. And as we said, you know, whatever that be, use the example of putting out the chairs, it's a simple one we can understand. But, you know, even if that's what you do, you do it for the glory of God. You don't do it as a means to an end. That, that is something that you're doing so that, sorry, it is a means to an end. And the end is that we use it to encourage each other. You know, when we set up the equipment here, the idea is that we're not just doing it to get a job done. It's an opportunity to serve each other and administer each other. Um, the teas and coffees, those kind of things. It's not just about having a drink. It's about fellowshipping. It's about encouraging. And everything we do, we're using the opportunity that God has given us to serve the body, that we would grow together in knowledge and grace, and so that we'd be equipped and ready to step out into this world to be witnesses for him. So that's the things we've been looking at already. But then we move into chapter 4, and we're going to see here this coming apostasy um, very clearly laid out for us by Paul. Now, it's something that we read about a lot in the New Testament, and we'll talk about in a, in a while as we go through some of these scriptures. But first of all, just to remind you, this is nothing new for Paul. Back in Acts chapter 20, Paul had warned the Ephesian elders. Now, bear in mind, this is where Timothy is pastoring this church in Ephesus. And Paul had warned the Ephesian elders that false teachers would invade the church. And by the time we get here, they've arrived. As Paul is writing to Timothy a little bit later on, already we're starting to see these false teachers uh, appearing on the scene. And of course, they're still here. They're still within the church today. So there's no surprise. And these things are not just history. They're very instructive for us too. This is what Paul uh, said and recorded in the book of Acts to the Ephesian elders. He says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Again, that's that role of the elders, the, the pastor of the church, to feed the flock of God. And Paul goes on and says this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You see, the job of a shepherd isn't just to provide nourishment, to provide food for the sheep, but it's also to protect the flock as well. And Paul is saying that he knows that wolves are going to enter in among 
the, the congregation uh, there in Ephesus. And it says, and also of your own selves shall men arise. Now, it's one thing when we have attacks from outside the church, but it's something very different when those attacks arise inside the church. You know, the first few centuries, three centuries particularly, all that we see, see in history is the church being persecuted. And what happened? The church grew. You know, the, 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 the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. And those people that gave their lives, the letter that, that we have in Revelation to the church of Smyrna was a church that was suffering persecution. But it's one of the churches of which there's nothing bad spoken. The Lord was doing great things through them as they were standing up to this attack that was coming from outside. Yeah, and that's typically what happens. When attacks come on the church from outside, the church is strengthened and, and the, the individuals within the fellowships join together and pray for each other and go to the Lord. But it's a real challenge. And Satan is obviously very, very wily, very crafty. And he's learned that the best way of attacking a church is to bring it down from inside. That's exactly what we see from really the third century on. The real problems that came into the church, once we get the, the situation where Christianity was legalized under Constantine, suddenly the church is allowed to come out of the, the, the catacombs and the homes that they've been meeting in, and they're given these lavish, ornate buildings that the pagans had used. And then suddenly some of the doctrines that the pagans had had kind of got merged into Christianity, the idea of a priesthood, you know, an elite priesthood wearing robes and so on at the front. I mean, that's the course we see some of that in the Old Testament, but this is something the pagans did as well very much. And, you know, the idea of the, the, the priesthood being elevated and raised up at the front and, and so on. And so the, the church adopts these kind of ideas. You know, and now we've got to such a stage that if people in the road, if you talk to anybody in the street in the road about a church, they think about a building typically with stained glass and, and some sort of spire and a, normally a thermometer outside is how you're going to raise enough money to save the spire. You know, that's what people think of as a church, but that's not the church. The church is the people. The church is the body of Christ. And somehow that's all got lost. And, and we went through this great period of time for architecture, but a dreadful period of time for spiritual growth. And we call it the Dark Ages. Now we've obviously come through that and so on, but we carry so much baggage um, that, that came that was introduced into the church. And so many individuals that were within the fellowship, in the church, um, brought so many destructive and heretical doctrines. And so many of those things have carried over. The whole idea of anti-Semitism is just one of those things that we see a real problem with within the church today. So Paul says to the Ephesian elders, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Notice that they have an agenda. You know, there's a popularity thing going on. They want people to like them. Well, who doesn't? I mean, we all like people to like us, don't we? But not within a church environment, or not when it comes to the truth. It's not about drawing a crowd. It's about speaking the truth in love. And if people are offended by that, well then there's a door and people can choose to leave. But we will carry on speaking the truth in love. Because if you don't speak the truth in love, then really it's not love. Paul says, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, now just you get the intensity here, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This is how much Paul cared about this issue. 
It's not a trivial thing. It's a really important thing. And Paul says, you know, I wept night and day thinking about the dangers that you were facing, the reality that people would come in and try and lead you astray, trying to draw away disciples after them. And anybody that's been in church long enough over the years, you'll have seen examples of that. People that seem to be set on popularity, getting people to agree with them, and all of a sudden you end up with a church split. It's happened so many times. And so many of us, I'm sure, in our, our, our walk with the Lord as we've gone through various experiences have seen those kind of things happen. Yeah, and it's never to the glory of God. It's always, you know, to the detriment of the individuals who are involved to get, get, get caught up in those things. And it's always very painful when those things occur. And Paul is saying that, you know, you need to be aware these things will happen. And he's already highlighted that those that are going to be in positions of authority and leadership in a church need to be able to deal with their own families so that you're ready and you're prepared to deal with the church. You know, just as you would discipline your own children if they do something wrong, so you've got to be prepared to take action in the church if necessary. So let's jump into chapter 4 and we read this. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The first thing to tie the Spirit speaks expressly. You can't think of any language that gets that across better. The Holy Spirit is really wanting to grab our attention and warn us of the reality of this. Anybody that thinks that we are above deception, that we are above these things, or these things couldn't occur, well, you're already deceived. We need to be constantly on the guard, uh, on guard for these kind of things occurring and watching out for what's going on and caring and lovingly praying and supporting each other. Now, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter time some should depart from the faith. Interesting, isn't it, that Tony last week, if you remember, was speaking about the situation with the Philistines and what had happened to a number of the people. They departed from Israel. They joined with the Philistines. It's a very similar thing. I was just chatting to Tony after the service last week. I said, you know, so much of what he said last week is so applicable to the message this week. They dovetailed together beautifully. I encourage you to go back and listen again to what Tony said. Such an important message for us. But, you know, we're in a position that there are many that have departed from the faith. They've kind of joined sides with the enemy. They're not really of the enemy, but they've kind of joined sides with the enemy. And they've given heed to seducing spirits, thinking it's going to be easier, thinking there'll be less challenge. And so often those things can seem good. You know, again, if you study church history, so many of the the splits and the problems that have occurred occur because of people who are sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. They'd forgotten to use to have scripture as their their guide, and they'd allowed their own thoughts and man's ideas to lead and guide and dictate them. And of course, ultimately, it's beyond just man's ideas because we're told here that they're seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That there's a a work of the enemy, work of Satan going on to try and draw people away from the faith. Oh, Satan loves to do that, loves to keep people from the truth. 
Sadly, we've had people over the years that, even since I've been pastor here, that we've seen seduced, drawn away to other things. And there's always a good reason, always a good reason. Sometimes it's practical things. Sometimes it may be a a belief thing that's cited as being the reason. But there's always the same result. The people's lives become impoverished spiritually as a result of them being drawn away from the flock. It's the same old example I'm sure you've heard a hundred times before. You know about a piece of coal. You take that piece of coal out of the fire and gradually it goes out. You know, fellowship is so important and we should fellowship more as we see the day approaching. This word seducing, the idea again is is wandering, roving, vagabond. It's the word in Greek, uh, planos, and it's the same word from which we get planets. And I thought that was quite interesting. Because if you just think about planets the way they just roam around the, the solar system effectively... And each planet has got its own gravitational pull. And isn't that the way with people? Sometimes it's people with certain gravitas that draw others to them. Sometimes people aren't sure why, but they get drawn in and deceived. It's a great word. Of course, Satan is an imitator. You know, he has his own ministers, his own doctrines. And he loves to draw people into those things and to lead them away from the truth. Interestingly, this is the only place in any of the pastoral epistles that demons are mentioned. And I just just highlight that because I think it's important that we realize that, yes, we are battling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so on. But some people get really concerned and, and worried about the whole issue of demons. You know, in the New Testament, there's not a great deal of instruction about how to avoid demons. You know, I guess it comes back to the whole thing. You've heard this again, I'm sure, you know, with banknotes. You know, when somebody's learning, my my sister started her career uh, working in the bank. And, you know, the best way to spot a forgery is not to present them with a whole load of forgeries so they get to see them, but they count the real thing, the real money, so so frequently, so often, that when a forgery is slipped in there, they notice immediately the texture's different. There's something different about it. And that's the way it should be for us, that we should be so set upon the things of God, so familiar with Scripture, that when something comes along that's not scriptural, immediately we see it. Immediately we identify it. The alarm bells go up because a a verse of scripture is brought to our memory by the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to worry and focus and spend our time worrying about demons. We need to spend our time focusing and thinking about Jesus. It's far more healthy. It's much better for us. In all honesty, Jesus is bigger and more powerful that any principality, any power that exists, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We need not worry about those things, but we need to be aware of the effects. We need to be aware of what they do. Again, we've seen already that in Acts 20, verse 30, Paul warned that these teachers would come from within the church. Now, sometimes they may be genuine believers 
that get led astray. Sometimes they can be wolves among the sheep. They can be those that are not saved. They may appear saved sometimes. They may do the right things. They may sing along with the songs. But we always need to to look at the fruit because that's the real test that Jesus gives us. You know, we are to be fruit inspectors. We, of course, there's a whole issue here about, you know, people say, well, you shouldn't judge. And we're not talking about judging. We're talking about being fruit inspectors. And if somebody is born again, if somebody truly has a relationship with Jesus, you will see the fruits. It will be evident. As Ron Matson once said, I remember him very clearly saying, you know, if you don't see any fruit, you have to question the connection to the roots. It's kind of quite obvious, really. You know, Scripture warns much about the issue of idolatry and false worship. I'm just going to ask you, if you will, just turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Now, of course, this is speaking to Israel. And this is part of the the law that God had given them as a nation. But the same principle applies, that God didn't want them to get seduced. I'm actually going to just look from the beginning of chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. It says, if there arise among you a prophet. Now, we would think that's a good thing, wouldn't we? Or a dreamer of dreams. Oh, in the book of Acts we're told that there's going to be people that will dream dreams. And they're told, but if that happens, then they give thee a sign or a wonder... And then we're told, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spoke unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, we're reading here about the things that will come into the church, but actually we've got a principle laid down in the Old Testament that God will allow those things sometimes. Why? To test us. To see if we really are seeking him. Do we serve him with our whole heart? You know, people might come in and you you tend to read those things in the Old Testament and you think, oh, I'd never be deceived by, by something as obvious as that, but it won't be obvious when it comes. That's why it's deception. You know, people will come and say, oh, you know, come and worship this way or that way. And, you know, we, we've had so many things come into the church, you know, all the whole purpose-driven thing. We've had the whole emerging church thing and lots of new age things that have kind of crept into the church and into various kind of worship services and so on. And we have to be so, so careful. Just... Uh, Move on to verse 6 of Deuteronomy 13. And notice this. If thy brother, let me get closer than that. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or the son of thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, well, you know, there's lots of gods round about us now. Lots of things we can get into. Lots of things we can invest our, our time, our effort, our money in. And even if someone who's really close to you, someone is like your own soul, it says. Your best friend, your, your bestie, I think is the, the, the thing, isn't it? 
I don't understand all this stuff, but I'm gradually kind of, thankfully I've got a daughter who's explaining these things to me. But you know, somebody that's that close to you, it's saying don't be deceived, don't be enticed. Verse 8 says, Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thy eye pity him, neither shall thou spare him, neither shall thou conceive him. But notice this, but thou shalt surely kill him. And I'm not suggesting we do this, but this is under the law. This is how serious an issue this was for Israel as a nation. That God didn't want to allow anything to come into that nation that was going to draw the people away from their relationship to him. And we need to have the same attitude of heart that we reject completely anybody or anyone that would try and bring in an idea or a doctrine or something that would lead us away from the true worship of God and from being faithful to his word. And sadly, so many churches are full of congregations where the leadership have been led away and they are now suffering false teaching, false doctrine. So many things are being foisted upon their minds and presented to them as if they were true. I praise God for for Calvary Chapel and for what he's done and for every independent or every free church and even the denominational churches where they do stand on his word. There are still some. Praise God. But sadly, they are in the minority. God has still reserved a remnant, those who would not bow the knee, just as it was in the days of Elijah. In the book of Jude, just turn with me to the opening of the book of Jude, because again, just so applicable. Jude really wants to write and just talk about our common salvation and just say how great this thing is that we have, that we share, this salvation. His beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me. I had to do this to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. You should get up, get your battle gear on and get ready to fight because there's an onslaught coming. And this was Jews saying this. And of course, we've seen that down through the ages and we're right still in the midst of it now. You know, it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to get to the, the stage where anybody that really truly stands up for the truth really will be persecuted. I, I think that we will see those days in this country. Yeah, we're seeing little things now. We're seeing you know people that go out on the street and preach. From time to time, they're getting arrested. And there's things that are going on. Anybody that stands up for that which is true and that which is right, which is biblical... You know, we, we should be prepared for these things. Plenty of other scriptures that deal with these kind of challenges that we're going to face and the danger that we should expect to see um, from the idolatry and the results from these things. And notice we're told that these people will be speaking lies in hypocrisy, or better still, the, the more literal translation is the hypocrisy of liars. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Literally, the word seared is cauterized. That's the idea. Now, I don't know how much you know about 
cauterizing flesh. The idea is that you kind of, if you have a wound that you put something very hot on it, you burn it to stop the blood flow so that you don't bleed out, basically. Now, I'm guessing probably most of you are fairly sensible and balanced people and you don't spend a lot of time looking at the details of this stuff, but I was curious last night. So I decided to find out a little bit more about what cauterizing does. The really interesting thing that came out of it apart from a whole load of gruesome pictures of people who had their flesh cauterized and so on, was the fact that it leaves you extremely susceptible to infection. I thought, how interesting. People that, you know, speaking lies and hypocrisy, their conscience becomes seared. It kind of, it it stops the blood flow in a sense. It stops the, the life in us. But it leaves you very susceptible to infection. And I thought, how interesting that is. People that allow things into their life to start with, maybe not thinking it's going to cause a problem. And so on. It gets to the point that they become numb. That's the whole idea here. They become numb to sin. You see, an apostate is not just wrong doctrinally, but also wrong morally. His personal life will become wrong before his doctrines were changed. And it's been said that believing and behaving always go together. I just want to read to you the words of a song. Some of you will be familiar with this, but it just hits the nail very squarely on the head. It's a song by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. And the words are this, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to grey. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say. For empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to grey. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand. You just might be sinking. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to grey. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. Very poignant words. It's a great song. Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived, we see in evidence of the slow fade. He became king. And in 1 Kings 3, we read this in verse 1, that Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David, until he had made an end of building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Seems such an innocent beginning, doesn't it? 
Surely nothing wrong with that. It was a common thing to be done back at that time that you would marry with the royalty of another nation, kind of ensuring peace and so on. But God had already warned about this. You know, again, slow fade. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. And here we see an example that kingdoms never crumble in a day. Go on to First Kings 11, some chapters later, and there we read, but King Solomon loved many strange women. It started with just the wife of, sorry, the daughter of Pharaoh. It says, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Amorites, the Edomites, the Zidonites, and the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clave unto these in love. We're told he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For he came, it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not perfect toward the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Isn't this what Tony was sharing with us last week? The same warning. You know, not to get attracted to and drawn to the things of this world. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This passage goes on and says that these people that come into the church, from within the church, these lies that they bring in the hypocrisy, one of the things that they will do will be forbidding to marry. And command to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Of course, we've seen that come in through the Catholic Church, the idea of forbidding to marry. And we see the danger and the damage it's caused, don't we? How many news articles do we see almost daily with these accounts of priests that have got into sexual abuse cases or paedophilia and all these horrible things? God never commanded those that serve him to abstain from marriage. This is a, a doctrine of demons. Satan had an agenda and all how, how he's bringing that to pass. Again, commanded to abstain from, from meats, you know. Very much what we were saying. Earlier on, as Lekka was sharing and said afterwards, your marriage is the means by which God reveals his most intimate truths. And it is. Marriage is so special and we see such an attack on marriage. Probably now more than ever. This goes on, it's talking about eating and things. It says, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be refused with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. We should, always give, we should always pray before we eat. It's a good thing to do. It's one verse amongst many that encourages us to do that. And we're told very clearly that all foods are clean. And Jesus says that, Peter and Paul, this reiteration of these things. You know, and, and of course the law was given, the law was uh, specifically uh, spoke of animals that they shouldn't eat, the Jews shouldn't eat, and those animals, again, were typically the scavengers, those that fed off other animals, and so they would carry more parasites. So there was some common sense in amongst those things. Of course there was no law that's given in the law that didn't have a good reason. And yet we also get to the stage that many of the foods that were 
originally spoken of are actually now bread for the express purpose of eating. So the health risk is not as great as as soon as it would have once been. But that's not the point. The point is that Scripture says that we can eat whatever we want if it's sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And those that start to put these rules in place again, this of the of the devil, and we read in verse six: If thou uh, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, these are the things we should be reminding each other of, of the importance of sticking to Scripture and not getting led aside by little side doctrines that people try and bring in and make mandatory to us. Now, this is why the whole counsel of God was given to the church Ephesus by Paul. He said, I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to share that with each other and studying continually so that we understand God's Word, so we don't get led astray by every wind of doctrine. An interesting example, you know, when it comes to flights, I was going to talk to uh, to John, who's uh, a pilot, or was pilot, so he knows these things very well. But um, Chuck Mosley used this example, you know, saying that actually with, with flights and with flying planes and so on, you know, there are a number of checks that are done with a number of different instruments before you fly. You don't just rely on one or two. You need to check against a whole number. You've got a whole cockpit full of dials and things and displays, and you have to look at a number of things. And Scripture's very much like that. We need to have that approach, that we don't just take one verse and that becomes the, the thing we hold on to. We need to have the whole counsel of God. God's Word is there, and it gives us the answers to all the questions, all the issues, all the challenges that have been brought in through the centuries. God's word answers. We need to have the whole counsel so we don't get led astray. Again, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou should be a good minister of Jesus. Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith. That's lovely, isn't it? Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Every Christian ought to feed daily on the Word of God. A number of scriptures certainly give reason for that and imply we should do so. Uh, But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And we were talking on Thursday night about the mystery of godliness. And one of the things that comes out of that is obedience. Jesus, the personification of of the, the, the mystery of godliness was obedient to his father. He came to do the will of his father. So we're to exercise ourselves unto godliness. What does it mean? We're to be obedient to God in all things. We're not to to seek for success. I remember doing a study some years ago through the book of Numbers, and I said to you at the time that we should replace in our vocabulary, in the Christian vocabulary, the word success for obedience. The... Metaphor here that's used is kind of an athletic metaphor. Paul has spent three years in Ephesus, which we've already spoken about. The Colosseum there, uh, which from time to time held the Olympic Games, could seat about a hundred thousand people. And a Greek or Roman athlete had to refuse certain things and eat the right food and do the right exercises and train continually. The idea of exercising thyself. 
There's an effort that has to go into this. You know, it's not something that you can do in an armchair. Of course, you can sit and read your Bible in an armchair. But the point is, this is not something that you do passively. You actively have to engage in this. You need to pick up the Bible, open it, read it, study it. Allow it to permeate your thinking. Exercise thyself. You need to have that same kind of attitude as an athlete would have had. And we're told, and this is one of my favorite verses for a number of reasons, for bodily exercise profited little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. You know, and look, it's not saying that, that exercise is wrong and things like that. Of course it's not. And it's good that we should try and keep our bodies in good shape, as you see I try and do. But godliness is profitable unto all things. You know, that's where we should be investing our time. It should be our hobby. It shouldn't just be even something that, that we find ourselves having to force ourselves to do. As people that love God are so overwhelmed by the reckless love of God that we were singing about this morning and that we were talking about in our sharing time, we should want to exercise ourselves towards godliness. It's profitable unto all things. Having the promise of life that now is, oh, how our life is so much blessed when we walk with the Lord. I mean, you've only got to read Psalm 119 to see the blessings that come from a life that is walking in the way. But there's the blessings to come as well. It's of that which is to come, of eternity, all ahead of us. See, again, this idea, the great purpose of our life is the shaping of character and conduct by truth as one commentator put it. And the Christian is to be as devoted to godliness as the athlete is to his sport. And we're told that this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach at all. Let no man despise thy youth, Paul says to Timothy, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, that's the lifestyle, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. The youth here is a term applied typically to a person like myself, around about 40 years old or under. Uh, conversation, again, walk. It's the way you live your life, it's your behavior. Faith always leads to faithfulness. And then Paul says to Timothy, Shall I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine? I love this emphasis on doctrine all the time. To be absorbed in is the idea here. Exhortation is encouragement. And that's something we should all look to do. Some people specifically really do have the gift of encouragement, but it's something we should all look to do, all look to encourage each other. We need it. Because the devil will try and discourage in any way he can. You know, there's 22 references in these 13 chapters of First and Second Timothy. There's 22 references that speak about the importance of doctrine. And then a very personal thing for Timothy here. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands 
of the presbytery, so the eldership of the church, the leaders of the church, had laid their hands at some point in the past on Timothy, and clearly they identified that he had a gift. And Paul is saying, you can't turn back. You can't turn back now that this has been done, that this has been manifest, that you realize you have this calling. And you know, each of us have a calling. Each of us have a role to play in the body of Christ at large, but within this fellowship too. We all have a role to play. We're not to be passive. You know, and we need to ask ourselves also, you know, are we further along today than we were this time last year? I hope for all of us the answer is yes, that we've grown more in knowledge and grace. We may not be where we want to be yet, but we're not where we used to be. And then we're told, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Now, this, this is a great word, this profiting. It, it really speaks of progress. It's a Greek military term. Lots of the terms we've said already that Paul uses here were kind of military terms. And it, it has this idea of a kind of a pioneering advance, or a soldier who would go ahead of the troops to clear any obstacles out of the way, making it possible for others to follow. I love that. It's a great picture here. Meditate on these things. Dwell on these things. Go over and over them. Give thyself wholly to them that you're profiting, that you're going ahead, clearing the way, making a way for others to follow appears to all. You know, that's what we should all be looking to do. You know, we've got a whole generation of young people out there this morning that are being taught, but they'll be looking to us to lead them, to set examples. To, to let them see that serving Jesus Christ is the most wonderful thing in the world. We don't want these children growing up with the impression that being a Christian is dull and boring. Because it's anything but. We need to encourage them. You know, and, and I encourage you to talk to them about the things they're learning in Sunday school. And have an opportunity maybe just to impart another seed. You know, we should be, all of us, whether, whatever role or ministry we have in this kind of situation where we're kind of going ahead, kind of clearing the way, that others would follow after us. Because Paul had Timothy who was following after him in this way. And as we said before, you know, there'll be other people for the older ladies, there'll be younger ladies that will follow after, that will look to your example. And for the older men, there'll be younger men or, you know, those that are more mature spiritually that have been Christians longer. For those that have not been Christians as long, they'll look to you for a lead. One commentator said also that no pastor can lead his people where he has not been himself. And uh, Acts 3, verse 6, remember the situation with Peter and John as they're going up to the temple and they meet the, the man that's there. It's such as I have, I give thee. You know, the Lord, we were talking about this, weren't we, right at the start this morning about things the Lord allows us to go through that will be a benefit to others. We don't always see it at the time. This is what Diane shared with us. So take heed unto thyself and to thy doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. And we see, come full circle again what Tony was saying last week. Because there are those that have gone off into the world. There are those that have joined the camp of the Philistines. But we're to be on the offensive we're to reclaim that ground. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. 
we have a job to do reaching out to those that will hear us when we speak. Let's bow our hearts. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to be reminded of these things. And yet, Lord, we see that even in the the problems that will occur within church life, Lord, many of these you will allow to strengthen your own. Lord, many of these you will allow to draw us close together, to give us a deeper love for each other and a deeper love for you. Father, we do pray you protect us from the wiles of the devil or the, the attacks that would come if we were not mindful, if we were not careful. Lord, help us always to let Scripture be our guide, never to try and do anything outside of the the boundaries that you have set for us. So, Lord, protect us, we pray. And, Lord, give us a, a deep love for your word, that it would be, Lord, a foundation, Lord, an anchor, to stop us drifting, to stop us being pulled away. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.